All right, so uh, once again, my name is Cassidy. I'm going to be teaching tonight. Taylor, my husband, um, has been up here a couple times, and you've seen our kids. But you need to see them again because they are so cute. <laughs> They're so cute. They kill me. Yeah, these two are my heart. Um, they are so precious to me. Um, I'm very protective of my children. Uh, the mama bear instinct is very strong in me. I often find myself protecting my children from each other and themselves. Uh, Matthew is two, and sometimes he gets this like spirit of mischief in him, and he'll randomly like hit his sister, um, or he'll like distract us with this like really cute hug while he like steals our phone. Um, he likes to drink his water bottle and then like spit it on the ground, and he'll like keep drinking and spitting it until the water bottle is empty if we don't stop him. Um, he is a little boy, and he has a tremendous amount of energy. Uh, we have to keep knives off the edge of counters. We have to keep doors shut to stairs. We had to put child locks on all our, like, our doors that go to the outside because he would like escape and run away. Um, he's tried to run into the street multiple times. Um, he hits, kicks, and spits me almost every single day. My two-year-old is not wise. He, in fact, is the opposite of wise. The reason that he is alive is because Taylor and I are wise. Despite her name meaning wise or wisdom, Sophie is also not wise. <laughs> she is truly dependent on our good decision-making and care. Sophie loves to grab her brother's hair and pull it out of his head in big handfuls. Um, he's actually very patient with her, poor little guy. Um, if we leave Sophie by herself in a room to like, go grab something really quick, she will wail within five seconds. Um, she hates being alone. Wow, that is a little distracting. Hopefully it goes away. Um, uh, we watch out for our kids every single day, um, all the time. Their lives are dependent on our watchfulness and the fact that we are responsible human beings. We start out our lives as foolish children. We have to grow and develop wisdom over time. We're never finished products who have arrived and at the finish line of growth. Um, personally, I've come a long way since two, myself, yeah, um, but I still have much further to go. I need to grow in wisdom every single day. So for the rest of the quarter, we're going to be talking about wisdom and learning from characters in the Bible how to become wise. How do we grow in wisdom? I think that the Bible is a great place to start. Um, so we're going to have our Bible pastors hand out Bibles. So if, you, if you're passing Bibles, if you could come down and grab those. Um, we're, I'm just going to put the Bible references up here. You're going to have to flip in the Bible yourself, so you'll definitely want one tonight. Um, so go ahead and raise your hand if you need a Bible. And I'm going to pray to get us started as they pass those out. Dearly Father, um, you interact with us and speak to us and draw closer to us uh, through your word and, and through um, what your words say to us, Lord, and I just pray that you would help give us ears to hear and um, hearts that are shapeable tonight. Um, help us to grow in wisdom, um, to be followers of you, to be, um, yeah, just in your kingdom and, and part of what you're doing on this earth, Lord, and I just lift up tonight to you and ask that you would bless us and speak to us. Amen. As Christians, we know 
that the Bible shapes how we see the world and live in the world and make the decisions that we make. So as Christians, we know that the Bible shapes how we see the world and live in the world and make the decisions that we make. How we read the Bible really matters. So one of the things that happens when we read the Bible is we read it through our lens or paradigm or worldview that is specific to our culture and our time in history that we, the time of history that we live in. We can't help it. So some of those lenses or paradigms are really like good, and then some of them are not helpful. Um, the Bible Project is an amazing resource um, you might be familiar with. They have a YouTube channel with like videos. They also have a podcast and a blog and an online classroom. All of them are free. It's amazing. They have a podcast series that talks about paradigms with which we approach the Bible. And they talk about like the unhelpful paradigms and helpful paradigms that we um, can use. So some unhelpful ways that we often approach the Bible um, is we often approach the Bible like it's a, a reference book. That's a typical, like, um, there's a couple ways that we do that. Um, I think you can see up there, uh, we typically approach the Bible in three different ways that sort of use the Bible as a reference book. And those ways are a theology dictionary, a moral handbook, and a devotional grab bag. So what is wrong with a theology dictionary? When was the last time you thought to yourself, I wonder what the Bible says about fill in the blank? You open the Bible to find out. You scan the back section of your Bible trying to find the reference to that topic you're wondering about, only to find out that the Bible says nothing about what you are wondering about. Isn't that annoying? That's really annoying. The problem is when we treat the Bible like it's going to talk about categories that we're familiar with, we run the risk of missing out on what the biblical authors are actually trying to say. So I'll say that again. When we treat the Bible like it's going to talk about categories that we're familiar with, we run the risk of missing out on what the biblical authors are actually trying to say. The second way that we approach the Bible is that it's a moral handbook. Um, Tim Mackey, he's like part of the Bible Project, he says, of course, deriving moral principles from the Bible is necessary. Otherwise, we'd all arrive at our own moral preferences without any authority but our own. The Bible in itself begins by raising the question, who gets to define what is good, humans or God? But instead of only answering this and other moral questions with a set of rules, the Bible invites people into a dynamic process of aligning their ethic and character with God. So, for example, Jesus affirms the rule against murder, and he also teaches his disciples that there is greater depth to that, like anger and hatred within a person's heart are akin to murder, Matthew 5. Um, Taylor is going to be sharing a story later in the quarter about Jephthah. If you read the Bible like it's a moral handbook, you're going to get to stories like Jephthah, a man who sacrifices his own daughter, and you are going to be very confused. Okay? Look forward to that. Um, the third is that we can approach the Bible like it's a devotional grab bag. Um, I think this is the most common one probably among us. Um, this is how I treated the Bible for most of my life until the past couple years. Um, this is where you gravitate towards nice passages of the Bible, like the ones that make you feel good, 
um, the ones that you understand, and you skip the rest. So maybe it's a book, a paragraph, or even just one verse, um, and you return to those same ones over and over again. So most of the time, that means avoiding the entire Old Testament. <laughs> it's really hard to read the, the Bible this way. Um, I personally have had to work pretty hard to like break this habit in myself. So if you read the Bible like a devotional grab bag, you might miss out on stories like Solomon or Eli, Jephthah, and Samson because they make you uncomfortable. So if we're not supposed to read the Bible like it's a theology dictionary or a moral handbook or a devotional grab bag, how are we supposed to read it? How do I shift my reference book mentality of the Bible? So in the Bible Project Paradigm series, they talk about seven paradigms to use when we approach the Bible instead of a reference book paradigm. So one of those seven paradigms is that the Bible is wisdom literature. So we're going to talk about that tonight. The Bible as wisdom literature. I'll give you guys a second. So wisdom literature usually refers to a few books in the Bible, um, specifically in the Old Testament. Um, and that's not how we're using that term tonight. So all the diverse literary styles of the Bible reveal God's wisdom. The whole Bible is wisdom literature. Lists and rules can help with some things, but those things often and quickly fall short. Wisdom will help you in every season and situation of your life. The list and the rules and the other things like that in the Bible, they're actually pointing us and leading us to wisdom. So wisdom, what is it? Um, wisdom is practical knowledge that shapes our actions and life choices throughout the formation of the whole human life, often called someone's character. I'll say that again. It's a practical knowledge that actually shapes your actions and life choices throughout the formation of the whole human life often called someone's character. The Bible is aimed at shaping people and communities of people to see the world in a certain way and to live in the world in a certain way. So the Bible is shaping people and communities of people to live in the world in a certain way and to see the world in a certain way. So you've got two words. You've got your Hebrew word for wisdom, chokmah, and then you've got your Greek word for wisdom, sophia. In both the Old and the New Testament, it's sort of used as this like practical know-how, especially in terms of craftsmanship with like physical material and like making things beautiful, um, leadership and decision-making for communities, and moral discernment. All right, so we're going to flip to a passage in our Bible. Start flipping to Exodus with me. Um, we often use the word skill in English to describe this word wisdom, how they would have used it, we use the word skill. So we usually don't really think of this as wisdom. Um, but wisdom can refer to like the physical craftsmanship and making things beautiful. So you're going to turn in Exodus 31 with me. 31, 1 through 5. And I'll give you a second to get there. It's the second book of the Bible. Chapter 31. Okay. Verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, 
And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills, to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. Okay. So that's how wisdom is used there. Now we're going to turn to Deuteronomy. So Deuteronomy, um, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's your fifth book. Deuteronomy 34. I'll give you a second to turn there. Okay, Deuteronomy 34, verse 9. So this is about how wisdom refers to leadership. So Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. So Joshua leads the people with the spirit of wisdom so that they are faithful to all the things that Moses has led them in before him. All right, Deuteronomy 4. Ready? Go. You're in Deuteronomy right now. Just go back to the beginning. Deuteronomy 4. Turn there with me. I'll give you a second. Deuteronomy 4, 5 through 6. Okay. So wisdom is something that a whole community can exercise and gain together. So Joshua does it as an individual. And here in Deuteronomy 4, 5 through 6, it says that the whole community learns from the law. So Deuteronomy 4 it says, see, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them, and observe them carefully, for they will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations. You will hear about all these decrees and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Okay? So now we're going to jump to 1 Kings. So 1 Kings is past Deuteronomy a little bit. Got 1 Solomon, Samuel, 2 Samuel, Solomon. 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, and then you got your kings. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 3. Um, so this is the final way that we see wisdom um, is moral discernment. Um, this is the most common way that we think of wisdom. Um, so 1 Kings 3, 7 through 12. Wait for a second. And for context, this is Solomon speaking. So Solomon is the king, son of David. It says in verse 7, Now, Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. But I am only a small child, a little child, and I do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, Since you have asked for this, and are not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart, so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. 
So to recap the ways that we see wisdom working, we see it as personal with Joshua. We see it as a communal thing like the Israelites in Deuteronomy. Um, It's moral and ethical like Solomon. And then you've got this practical skill like know-how with Bezalel. So now we know a little bit more about what wisdom is. Let's talk about how to gain it. How do we gain wisdom? You're going to turn with me to the New Testament. We're going to go all the way almost to the back to James. So that's quite the journey. James is a very small book, so it might be hard to find. You can always use your table of contents to find James. I'll give you guys a second there to turn to James 1. I know you're probably writing that down also. Sorry. When you're ready, turn to James 1. James 1, 5. I'm going to go ahead and read that. It's pretty short. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. We need to trust God to give us wisdom and to not rely on our own wisdom and discernment. How do we know what the right way is to be human? How do we know what the right way is to be human? Um, That's what hokmah, wisdom, is all about. It's allowing God to define what is good and right. If we rely on our own understanding, we will inevitably start making decisions that are foolish, that we think are wise. I'm going to say that again. If you and I rely on our own understanding, we will inevitably start making decisions that are foolish, that we think are wise. That is challenging. (laughs) Just gonna let this sink that sink that in, sink in for a minute. Yeah, I find myself relying on my own instincts all the time. It's so difficult to stop, pause, and seek God's wisdom over my own. Um, a consistent theme in my life is that I think um, I know it all, and then I get humbled over and over again. I wish I could just like learn it once and for all and then apply it to every area of my life and then be like done. Um, but it just keeps coming back. Uh, my freshman year, I was in a core. It was a, a core night. We played this game. My facilitator, like she wrote big theological words on little pieces of paper and then put them in a hat. And then we like passed around the hat and we had to like either like define the word or we had to like say we didn't know it and have the group define the word. And I think in my head, you know, oh, wow, I got this, you know, youth group kid. <laughs> I know everything. Um, so I got to my turn, and I pulled out the word sanctification, and I was like, oh, I know this. Um, and so I, sh- I, like, share what it is, and my facilitator looks at me, Kristen, and she says, Cassidy, that's not what that means. And I was like, oh. Like, just, like, crushed, you know? <laughs> and I was like, it just, like, was, like, this moment where the Holy Spirit, like, started to, like, shave off, like, ugly parts of my personality. Um, He started me, like, on this journey towards being teachable. Um, It was, like, this moment of being, like, confronted and called out, and it was, like, such an amazing, like, Holy Spirit moment of, like, beginning my journey towards wisdom. I actually, like, I think that's, like, one of the reasons I was able to facilitate the following year um, is because I actually became teachable. (laughs) 
I actually became, like started to be humbled um, as a person and became, I started to become like aware of my own limits. Um, we're going to turn all the way back to Joshua in your Bibles, all the way back to the Old Testament, Joshua 1. I believe Joshua is right after Deuteronomy. I'm pretty sure. I'll give you guys a second. Joshua 1, verse 8. It says, Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate, it, meditate on it day and night, so that, you will, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Um, the book of the law is just means the Bible. Uh, Joshua learns that the wisdom of leadership by meditating on the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, day and night. Joshua is offered here as an example of how we should read the Bible. It is shaping and creating him into a leader. If we ponder the Bible, we will learn what it means to be human. I'm going to say that again. If we ponder the Bible, we will learn what it means to be human. Every character in the Bible becomes a mirror for self-evaluation to point out the ways that we're acting foolishly and to teach us the ways of wisdom, the way of wisdom. We gain that wisdom by meditating on these stories of the Bible. I'll say that again. Every character in the Bible becomes a mirror for self-evaluation to point out ways that we're acting foolishly and to teach us the ways of wisdom. We gain that wisdom by meditating on the stories of the Bible. I'll let that sit for a second. That's pretty deep. When you finish writing that, we're going to go back to the New Testament. Second Timothy. <laughs> also a hard book to find, so you can always use a table of contents to find Second Timothy 3. It's towards the end of the New Testament. Be Second Timothy 3, 14 through 17. For some context, as you guys are flipping there, um, Paul is talking to Timothy, um, and he's giving, he, he gives this like great summary of how wisdom character formation for an individual and a community like works with the unified messianic storyline. So that's pretty nerdy. <laughs> um, yeah, so this is Paul talking to Timothy. Verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you know you've known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The ideal human in the Bible recognizes the limits of their own wisdom. 
there is something that needs to be done in the world, and I am unable to do it. And that leads me to the knowledge that I need salvation and deliverance. And that deliverance is to the trust or faith in the anointed representative, Jesus. So I'll say that again. The ideal human in the Bible recognizes their limits. <laughs> you know, that we see there's something that needs to happen in the world. Something's wrong, and I'm unable to do anything about it. And that leads me to know that I need Jesus. Like, I need salvation. You know, choosing to become a follower of Jesus is an act of wisdom. Recognizing your need, you know, recognizing that you're enslaved to death and darkness and that you need deliverance, and choosing the kingdom of light over the kingdom of darkness, aligning yourself with Jesus' values and ethic is an act of wisdom. Trusting that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life is an act of wisdom. Verse 16 is a great summary of what wisdom literature is. Um, scripture is for teaching, so telling you things you never knew. For rebuke, confronting you with the things you do know but don't live consistently with. Correcting, stop going that way, go this way. And finally, for training you in righteousness, shaping you to do what is right. That's really good stuff. That's a lot to write down. You can always just write it in your Bible, too, like next to the verse. I love writing in my Bible. I know not everybody does, but. So scripture is for teaching, telling you the things you never knew, for rebuke. It confronts you with the things you do know, but don't live consistently with. For correcting, stop going this way, go this, that way. And finally, for training you in righteousness, shaping you to do what is right. So for the rest of our series, we're going to share stories about characters in the Bible who are more like anti-heroes than they are heroes. <laughs> um, we're going to explore the lives of Solomon, Eli, Joshua, Jephthah, and Samson. As we delve into each of these character stories, we will explore how their lack of wisdom led them to make poor choices, how they suffered the consequences, and how they suffered the consequences. However, we will also see how Jesus, through his teaching and life, corrected these narratives and showed us how to live with true wisdom. Um, so tonight, as we close, I'm going to read us one more story. So you're going to turn with me to Luke 24. Luke 24, verses 13 through 32. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. <clears throat> it's your third book in the New Testament. I'm going to go ahead and start verse 13. So in this, where the story starts, Jesus has risen from the dead, and he's now appearing to some of the disciples, and they're on a, a journey to this town called Emmaus. So in verse 13, Now the same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? 
They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people. The chief priests and, the other, and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. They crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. What is more, it is the third day since all of these things took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb earlier this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are. How slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Jesus is saying, how unwise you are to not read the Bible in a way that gives you faith. Like Paul talks about in 2 Timothy, the holy scriptures make you wise by leading you to Jesus. Verse 26, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them, what well, it was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So when it says Moses, he's talking about the first five books of the Bible. And when he says the prophets, he's talking about the rest of the Old Testament. So there's no New Testament yet. Jesus is contextualizing and legitimizing his resurrection using the Old Testament. Verse 28. As they approached the village in which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? I want Jesus to reveal himself to me like he does here to the disciples. I want him to reveal himself to me every single day. I want to draw closer to him, become more deeply aware of my limits and my need for this anointed one, Jesus. So this reminds me again of Joshua 1.8. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so you may be careful to do everything that's written in it. So I told you the story about Matthew, how he's a little child and doesn't you know, have wisdom yet. I also told a story about myself, how the Holy Spirit humbled me and taught me wisdom. Um, both stories were about being childish, the need to move towards wisdom as the opposite of that. Wisdom is being teachable, listening to the Holy Spirit, and those around us who love Jesus and are wiser than us. So tonight as we worship, um, just ask the Lord to give you wisdom. Um, one practical way that we the worship team can start coming up. Um, one practical way that we gain wisdom is by giving and receiving spiritual gifts from one another. So the Holy Spirit in his wisdom has gifts for us to share with each other. Um, this should be like a weekly practice for us in our cores, in our one-on-ones, in our, on our Tuesday nights. Um, I find the best way to share a spiritual gift is to pull the person aside that I think it's for and to pray with them during worship and share the gift with them. Um, whether it's prophecy, it's a tongue with interpretation, a word of knowledge, of wisdom, or any, any of the other gifts. Even if you don't know if you have a gift or not, 
um, just ask someone from your core if you can pray for them. And as you're praying for them, you might receive a spiritual gift to, like, give. Um, so just be, like, really open to, like, what the Holy Spirit might want to use you. So I think there's going to be a space in the worship where we have, like, um, maybe some light music and there's time to, like, pray with each other for a while. Um, so just start, like, praying and preparing your heart. Is, um, Holy Spirit, is there anything, any gifts that you want me to give to anyone um, tonight? Um, I'm going to pray and then Tim and Kennedy are going to worship, uh, lead us in song. Heavenly Father, just thank you um, for walking with us, for meeting us where we're at, to calling us to something greater and higher, and um, um, to always desiring to teach us and help us grow and to become more human, to become more the human that you want us to be. Um, so Lord, I just ask that you would guide us tonight, pray that you pour out your spirit on us with gifts to share to one another that would help us to become wise. Um, yeah, Holy Spirit, you you have a lot that you want to do and a lot you want to move in. Um, you want to move through your scriptures. You want to move through our, our voices. Um, and so, Lord, I just ask that you you just move and, and help us to be humble and open to how you want to use us, Lord, and help us to be teachable. Amen.